Christian greetings to all of you, and I greet you in the name of Jesus, who empowers us to be overcomers. We are in a spiritual battle, and we must keep that in focus as we go through each day of life. The devil would, would like nothing more than to discourage us and to, and to cause us to, to fall and to stumble in our faith in God. Whatever he can do to pull us down, he's going to be after us. You can, you can bet you <laughs> he's going to be after us. You know, the, the Bible talks about uh, Satan and talks about uh, what he's like and, and what he wants to do. And, and it says that he is roaming around the earth. He's, he's busy. He's looking for people. He doesn't stay still. I, there in the, in the first chapter of Job, we have that picture as well. Uh, of Satan was out roaming around, <laughs> seeing, who, seeing who he could get. Satan is busy. I wonder sometimes, maybe we're not busy enough. As Christian people, there's a lot of complacency. There's a lot of lukewarmness. You're not going to find that in the character of Satan. He's busy. And if we're going to stand up for truth, if we're going to be overcomers, we need to be busy about the truth of God as well. Well, I'd like to bring another message in the little series that I'm working on right now. Uh, the theme of the series is the enemy's tactics. And we looked a few weeks ago at the poverty of prosperity looking at, at how the pursuit of prosperity, the pursuit of wealth, the pursuit of, of riches, that whole package, it doesn't bring life and happiness and joy. Instead, it, it fills us with emptiness. It's an empty pursuit that focuses our attention on the things of, of this world and draws our attention away from God and where it really should be. Now, the second message in this series is titled, The Deceitfulness of Disobedience. The Deceitfulness of Disobedience. And so, not just disobedience in and of itself, but what is that underlying characteristic that is pulsating, you could say, through disobedience? What is it that causes us to disobey? Why is it that when we so fully know that the soul that sinneth, it shall die, and, and other verses such like that, why is it that when we know that, yet we fall into sin, yet we disobey? We make that choice from time to time to disobey. Yet we know the consequence, or do we? We're talking about the deceitfulness of disobedience. I believe this morning that deception is one of the most worn tools in Satan's toolbox. One of the most worn tools in Satan's toolbox. Turn to Hebrews chapter 3, just for several verses as we begin this morning. And I'm using these verses 
verses 12 to 14 of Hebrews chapter 3, I'm using them as a way of introducing this subject because in a nutshell, they capture the thrust of what we're looking at this morning. Hebrews 3.12 Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. Now, here in these three verses, we capture the thrust of, of what we're looking at this morning. The deceitfulness of disobedience. We note here the problem, or you could say uh, the enemy's tactic. There, the latter part of verse 13. The deceitfulness of sin. Now, sin has, has also been defined as disobedience to the will of God. And so, I may use sin and disobedience somewhat interchangeably this morning as we think about this subject. Sin is disobedience to the will of God. So here the problem is noted as deceitfulness of sin. We note the reality, and that is that none of us are immune to this, verse 12, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief. This is not something that only strikes a few of us or maybe the ones that are just weaker. No, this is something that we all face. We also note the warning, and that is to take heed, brethren. Beware of this. Be on your guard. Keep this in mind. That type of thing. It's a warning for us today. We also note in these verses the end result of the deceitfulness of sin, the deceitfulness of disobedience, and that is a departure from God, a separation from God. Take heed, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But then we also note the answer. What is the answer to this deceitfulness of sin, this deceitfulness of disobedience, the answer is to hold fast to the truth. We are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. Now, it doesn't necessarily mention truth there, but it's speaking about our, our, our beginning, our walk with the Lord our relationship with Jesus Christ being founded on the Word of God, the truth, holding that steadfast to the end. That is the answer as we fight uh, the devil and his forces. As we fight the deceitfulness of disobedience. It speaks here of our hearts being hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Now, we're not talking about the hardening like that chata that you put on your ice cream. <laughs> that's good. Uh, that's, a, that's a good kind of hardening, we could say. And that happens very quickly. Uh, you can almost see it happening. I mean, boom, you put that on and it gets hard right away. That's not the hardening we're talking about here. Because this hardening doesn't happen quick. 
You see, deceitfulness is going to be wrapped all through this message in a positive way, I hope you know, although it's a negative subject. But um, this is something that does not happen fast. It doesn't even happen overnight. Instead, this hardening is a little by little, a, a little casualness here, a little carelessness here, Oh, a little neglect here. Just a little indifference here. It's a result of a lack of sensitivity to the Word of God. A lack of sensitivity to the voice of the Spirit. That still, small voice. It takes a desire to listen to hear that voice. You see, it's a process that is ever so subtle. And to us, it's almost imperceptible. We just don't see it coming, you could say. Just a little neglect here in the Word of God. Just a little disobedience here. It wasn't a big one, you know. We, we, yeah, we knew what we could have done, but just a little swerve maybe. Just a little lack of discernment in this issue. A little spirit of indifference. <laughs> What's the word that I keep saying? Little. Little. Just a little. <laughs> you see, it's not big. Because the devil knows full well that, that if he throws on the steam all at once, we'll, we'll pick it up. No, no. We don't want to have anything to do with that. And so he just, just gives us a little bit. And after a while, we become accustomed to, to cutting the corners. We become accustomed to, to making little allowances, you could say, in life. And all of a sudden, well, no, not all of a sudden. <laughs> after a while, disobedience doesn't seem quite so bad. We're getting a little bit more used to decisions like this. But I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, when we go down that road, we find ourselves living a life of defeat. It catches up with us. We find ourselves being deceived. We've been misled. We've been tricked. We've, we've taken the bait, you could say. And there's many people who have ended up in places they never, ever dreamed they would end up and never intended to go because of that little by little by little steps they've made. We're talking about the deceitfulness of disobedience. Uh, the truth is, all disobedience is deceitful. All sin is deceitful. It always promises more than it performs. Sin deceives us by making false promises of happiness, of joy, of, of prosperity, of popularity. It's a glamorous picture that usually flashes into our, our mind's eye. I say, though, that it, it never performs what it promises. It never does. Albert Barnes put it this way. He said, 
Sin assures us of pleasures which it never imparts. It leads us on beyond what was supposed when we began to indulge in it. The one who commits sin is always under a delusion, and sin, if one indulges it, will lead him on from one step to another until the heart becomes entirely hardened. Sin puts on plausible appearances and pretenses. It assumes the name of virtue. It offers excuses until the victim is snared. And then, spellbound, he is hurried on to every excess. If sin was always seen in its true aspect when one is tempted to commit it, it would be so hateful that he would flee from it with the utmost abhorrence. And someone else has said, pause here for a moment, someone else has said that if sin were not masked, we would have nothing to do with it. It would be so utterly horrible that we would have nothing to do with it. But you see, the devil doesn't, he doesn't show it like that. Sin comes to us, to us, us with a mask on, as it were. Moving on here with what Albert Barnes had to say. Sin deceives, sin deludes, sin blinds. Men do not or will not see the fearful results of indulgence. They are deluded by the hope of happiness or of gain. They are drawn along by the fascinations and allurements of pleasure until the heart becomes hard and the conscience seared, and then they give way without remorse. And I imagine that you know people like that. That they no longer have convictions for things they did years ago. Things they stood on and, and believed in. Gradually, gradually, time has went on and they've allowed themselves to go down that road of, oh, it's not a big deal. And now, they are where they are. Now, along with the fact that, that sin and disobedience is deceitful, it's also true that the end of sin and disobedience is always death. The end is always death. And of course, the devil will never tell you that up front. I mean, he'll never, he'll never show that part of the picture. But the Bible makes it very clear. You can even take, for example, uh, you know, billboards that we see going down the interstate. Whether it's uh, Budweiser or, or, you know, a cigarette ad or something like that, it's always a glamorous picture of this looks so wonderful. You well, well, not from experience hopefully, but you well know that it doesn't end wonderfully. It doesn't end wonderfully. And you could talk to those people uh, that have been trapped and made captives of drink and and alcohol and, and cigarettes and tobacco and so forth, talk to them in their older years, and, and it's, a pity, it, it's a pitiful sight. It sounds pitiful. It smells pitiful. It, it's a bad picture. It really is. And they would love to be free from those things. The Bible makes it clear that the end of sin and disobedience is always death. The penalty for sin is basically summed up in God's warning to Adam uh, there in the Garden of Eden, when he was speaking about the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, he said, In the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Thou shalt surely die. 
And then the Bible goes on to say in different places, uh, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. Uh, the wages of sin is death. The Bible speaks about being dead and trespasses and sins. Many other spots that make it clear what is the result or the outcome of following a life of sin and disobedience. Turn just a couple pages from where we're at in Hebrews. Turn back to James chapter 1 and just note two verses there that speak about this and they, they note the progression of, of how it starts and where it ends. James chapter 1 verse 14. Every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived... It bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. <laughs> Just a couple verses, but they speak so powerfully and seriously to this thing of the ending result of sin and disobedience. It might start so gradually but it ends very dramatically. So yes, the end is sin. But you see, Satan's goal, Satan's goal is to keep that well hidden from us in the hour of temptation. After all, he doesn't want us to, to flee from him. No, he, he wants us to fall for him. That's his desire. And so he will do what it takes to try to to tempt us, to entice us, to draw us in. And, and, you know, we commit sins for various reasons. But I would say behind every one of those reasons, we find the master deceiver. We find the father of lies. He is aware of our weaknesses. He is aware of our shortcomings. And he misses no opportunity to lead us into sinfulness. You know, I believe that every victim of sin can say truthfully, along with Eve, the serpent beguiled me, <laughs> and I ate. The serpent beguiled me, and I ate. Well, we're going to look here in just a moment at a few examples in the Bible of the deceitfulness of disobedience but I want to take just a moment to, to expose the devil a little bit. That's kind of satisfying here in this spiritual, in this spiritual warfare. To expose the enemy, okay? Um, the Bible refers to him as the adversary of God and man, the accuser and slanderer of God and man, the prince of the devils, the prince of the power of the air, uh, the angel of the bottomless pit, the dragon, the god of this world, that's just a few. Uh, he's also likened unto a fowler, unto a sower of tares, unto a snake, a wolf, a roaring lion who seeks to devour us. He's also referred to as an angel of light. And let me just say that the, the devil, I say, typically comes to us as an angel of light. It goes right along with that, that deception, that package of being deceived. If he would come to us as a roaring lion right off, we would, we would probably be on our guard and know right away that this is something that, 
that, that looks overboard. But he comes as an angel of light. And with, with that questioning attitude, as we'll note just a moment in Genesis 3, but with that questioning attitude, is this really what God says? And then I believe once he has his captives, then I believe he really roars out his demands upon their lives. You will do this, and you will be my servant. And it's that, it's that oppression that keeps them at bay. The Bible describes him as being presumptuous, as being proud, wicked, malignant, subtle, deceitful, fierce, a murderer, a liar. And the truth is, if you think of the worst possible character traits known to men, then you have a faint description of the one we're talking about. Just a faint one. Just a faint description of the devil, of Satan. And make no mistake about it, his purpose is not just to pick a fight with us. He doesn't just want to irritate us. He doesn't, his ultimate purpose is, is not just to make life difficult. Not at all. His ultimate purpose is to destroy us. Is to destroy our very soul. There in John chapter 10 where we have the, uh, the passage about the good shepherd and his sheep. We have two contrasts there. Jesus says that the good shepherd, he gives his life for his sheep. And he cares for his sheep. And he helps his sheep to grow. And he nurtures them. And he's, he's come to bring them life. But he also makes it very clear that the thief, which is referring to Satan, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. That is the purpose of Satan. To bring destruction to our lives. And perhaps the primary way that he accomplishes this uh, is by wearing us down or by wearing us out. Uh, it's been referred to as uh, the method of gradualism. I noted that at the beginning. Just a little bit here and a little bit there. I found this interesting. Watchman Nee explains the work of the devil like this. He said, Satan has in fact a plan against the saints of the Most High, which is to wear them out. What is meant by this phrase, wear out? It has in it the idea of reducing a little this minute, then reducing a little further the next minute. Reduce a little today and reduce a little tomorrow. Thus the wearing out is almost imperceptible. Nevertheless, it is a reducing. The wearing down is scarcely an activity of which one is conscious. Yet the end result is that there is nothing left. He will take away your prayer life little by little, and cause you to trust God less and less, and yourself more and more, a little at a time. He will make you feel somewhat more clever than before. Step by step, you are misled to rely more on your own gift, and step by step, your heart is enticed away from the Lord. Now, were Satan to strike the children of God with great force at one time, they would know exactly how to resist the enemy, since they would immediately recognize his work. He uses the method of gradualism to wear down the people of God. We're talking about the enemy's tactics. And specifically, the tactic of deception. Deception. 
Let's note now a few examples in the Bible that speak about the deceitfulness of disobedience. And we must start in Genesis. Genesis chapter 3, uh, it's foundational to this, to this whole study, I believe. But as we look at some of these examples, I want you to keep two things in mind. Keep two things in mind. Number one, our disobedience always affects others. Our disobedience always affects others. You see, Satan would like us to think that it's just between you and me. No one else will know. No one else. It won't. It doesn't work that way. And, and you'll note that through these, through these examples in the Bible. Secondly, disobedience causes substantial loss. Disobedience causes substantial loss. You know, it all started in a garden. <laughs> it all started in a garden. What could possibly go wrong in the perfect, beautiful garden of Eden? What could possibly go wrong? But yet Satan is the master deceiver. Satan is that father of lies. And even the Garden of Eden, since there was people there, was not immune to his tactics. Genesis 3, let's just read these first six verses. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? By the way, let's just note back here what God had said uh, in verse 17 of, verse, of chapter 2, verse 17. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and of evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. So that was what God had said. That was the truth, okay? And now Satan is saying here, Hath God said that you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Verse 2. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise. She took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And note verse 7, just the beginning, and the eyes of them were both opened. And I just mentioned that to tell you that Satan does not come to us with outright lies, normally. And that's part of the deception. He'll throw partial truth at us, Partial lies, whichever side you want, whichever way you want to say it. He doesn't ever give it to us all the way. But he'll throw in just enough truth to make us want to take it. Yea, hath God said that classic question that is so huge <laughs> in 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 the whole story of the human race. Yea, hath God said. You know, Satan caused Eve to question God's rule. He caused Eve to question God's message. 
to doubt God, to discard the truth until God's will was simply ignored. Can you believe that? How in the world? What a bold and blatant disobedience Adam and Eve performed there. God had said, you should not eat of that tree. And they knew that. Eve said, we will not eat of that tree. But something happened in a short period of time there. Something happened that broke them down to where they simply ignored the truth of God. But you know, it didn't start right there. It started earlier in that conversation. It started earlier when Satan started explaining away God's word. He started explaining it away. Did God really say? No, no, you're not, you won't really die. You won't really die. Actually, there's going to be some very positive things that come out of this. You know, and that's exactly what he still does today. He makes disobedience seem quite logical. He gets us to start thinking, you know what? God, that's, hmm. And we start thinking. We start a mental conversation with the devil, as it were. All of a sudden, he has some things that, that really, I hadn't thought about that before. And there we go. It makes disobedience seem quite logical. But dear people, when God says no, that trumps all the pros that we can think of. <laughs> it doesn't matter how good it sounds. It doesn't matter how logical it seems. If God says no, it's no. That's the truth. Well, you know the rest of the story. We want to move on to a couple other Examples here, but the rest of the story is that they were banished from that beautiful Garden of Eden, uh, and, and there was sorrow and there was death, and, and that trickles right on down the line to you and me today. We're not going to turn to this, uh, this example, but in Joshua chapter 7, we have the sin of Achan. And God had made it clear in that, in that, uh, that marching around the city of Jericho in that fight for Jericho, God had made it clear, do not take of the accursed thing. And if you take of the accursed thing, it's going to mean trouble in the camp. Israel is going to face trouble, and also you're going to be cursed. It's going to be a curse to you. Don't do it. God was very clear about that. Well, and then, so, so they... So they, uh, the walls of Jericho came tumbling down. Woo-hoo, big power, and everything was great, and they were all on a high. Okay, they went on then to, to, to fight little Ai, which is just going to be a, I mean, I'll just knock them out and move right on, you know. They experienced an embarrassing defeat at Ai, in which 36 men of the Israelites were killed. Well, as the story goes along, we then have... Later, we have Achan's confession. You know how they got to the point where Achan was, was brought out. And he confessed. And note the progression. Note what he said. I saw. I coveted. I took. And I hid. 
in that one verse in chapter 7, you can read it for yourself sometime. I saw, I coveted, I took, and I hid. Is that not almost exactly what happened in the Garden of Eden? <laughs> what a similarity. You know, Adam and Eve did some hiding too. You think God didn't know where they were? When he called for Adam, Adam, where are you? You think, Miles, do you think God knew where Adam was? God knew where Adam was. He wanted Adam, he wanted Adam to know where he was, <laughs> that he was right there. And you know the rest of the story of, of Achan, too. It meant death to Achan, to his family, to his livestock, to his possessions. The Bible says everything that he had was wiped out. We're talking about the deceitfulness of disobedience. Now, do you think if, if Achan would have known that up front, if he would have known what was going to happen at the end, do you think he would have done that? Uh-uh. But Satan worked a little process there in Achan's life and just took him right down that slippery slope, and there he was. Let us note here a few verses from Judges about Samson. Turn to Judges chapter 13. We don't often look at the life of Samson, and we're not going to look at, at much of his life now, but, but here is an interesting lesson on deception as well. Uh, verse thir I mean, chapter 13, the life of Samson here is just in a few chapters. starts at Judges chapter 13. And I note in verses 24 and 25 of chapter 13 that, that Samson had a good beginning. Verse 24, And the woman bare his son and called his name Samson. And the child grew, and the Lord blessed him. And the Spirit of the Lord began to move him at times in the camp of Dan between Zorah and Eshtol. What a, what a wonderful start to the life of Samson. The Lord blessed him. The, Lord's, the Spirit of God was working in him. This is wonderful. But if you just move right on into chapter 14, you note right away some problem areas. Verse 1, And Samson went down to Timnath and saw a woman in Timnath of the daughters of the Philistines. And he came up and told his father and his mother and said, I have seen a woman in Timnath of the daughters of the Philistines. Now therefore get her for me to wife. Then his father and his mother said unto him, Is there never a woman among the daughters of thy brethren? Or among all my people that thou goest to take a wife of the uncircumcised Philistines? And Samson said unto his father, Get her for me, for she pleaseth me well. We'll stop right there. I note three things there. Something was changing in the life of Samson. Uh, he started out with the Lord blessing him and, and the Spirit of God was upon him. But now we note some weaknesses. One was women. Another, another thing was a lack of submission to his parents. They said, Samson, we've got girls in our church. <laughs> you know? <laughs> really? And, and, and thirdly, I see a, a, a disrespect for authority. A disrespect for authority. But Samson was out looking for companionship among the Philistines. 
he was doing something apart from God's known will. Now we read, I, I know what verse 4 says. It says that the parents didn't know that this thing was of God. And I realize that, that God, allows, God allows things to happen. But there, it, the, the known will of God was that this is a naughty thing to do. Okay, You don't go marry the Philistines. They're not good girls, okay? You, you stay with God's people, and you marry within the, within the people of God. That was the known will of God. And so Samson was out looking elsewhere, and it shows weaknesses in different areas there. Now moving right along, in, in chapters 14 through 16 then, we have a very sad account of a very strong man who was oh so very weak. A very strong man who was oh so very weak. And his, his companionship with the Philistines and with the women became a real problem. And in verse, chapter, uh, in verse 20 of chapter 16, this is a really telling verse towards the end of his life here. This was after uh, Samson finally gave in to Delilah's deceitful nagging, you could say. Nag, nag, nag. Oh, Samson, won't you tell me? Oh, boo. And she, she's just making a real fool of herself. And Samson just finally, he said, okay, I'll tell you the secret of my strength. Cut my hair off. And so... Finally, that's what happened. And then let's note here verse 20. It's, very, it's a very sad picture. Chapter 16, verse 20. And she said, The Philistines be upon thee, Samson. And he awoke out of his sleep and said, I will go out as other times before and shake myself. And he wist not that the Lord was departed from him. That's deception. That's deception. He said, I'm going to go do just like I always did. And he didn't realize the Spirit of God was not on him anymore. That's a sobering thing to me. It didn't happen overnight. But Samson was making decisions through his life. Samson was giving ear to the devil. Samson was not standing for truth. And it came to the point where he wist not that the Spirit of the Lord had left him. And Samson was caught. He was powerless. He was helpless. Samson had been deceived. And he lost his life ultimately for that. Turn to one more yet. Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5. Here's the story of Ananias and Sapphira. Now in this story here, I want to note the disobedience to the brotherhood agreement that we see in Ananias and Sapphira. Disobedience to the brotherhood agreement. Now let's note what that understood agreement was. Uh, the last part of chapter 4, verses thir uh, 32. And the whole multitude of them that believed were of one heart and one soul. 
Neither said any of them that, that ought of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common. Verse 34. Neither was there any among them that lacked, for as many as were possessors of land or houses sold them and brought the prices of these things that were sold and laid them down at the apostles' feet, and distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. That was the understood brotherhood agreement. Now, they weren't obligated to sell. It, nowhere do we read that they were forced to sell their land and their houses and possessions. They weren't forced to. Certainly some did. But the agreement was, you could say the unwritten, understood agreement was that if you did sell, you gave. If you sold, you gave it to the church. You gave it to the brotherhood. That was understood. Acts chapter 5, verse 1. But a certain man named Ananias, with Sapphira his wife, sold a possession, and kept back part of the price, his wife also being privy to it, or she had full knowledge of this, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? Whilst it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. And Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and gave up the ghost, and great fear came on all them that heard these things. And I'll stop there, but you know the rest of the story. The wife came in a little bit later, wasn't aware of what had happened, questioned her, boom, she lied to, done. Note the intentional deception that happened there. They intentionally were deceiving, were trying to deceive the brotherhood. Trying to deceive the ministry, you could say. There was intentional deception happening there. And then they were lying to cover it up. And, and I note in some other examples that I, re- that I studied on in the Bible... The ones that, that we looked at earlier wasn't as much this way, but there's other examples of deception and disobedience in the Bible that lying is linked right to it. In order to make it work, <laughs> lying is linked with that. One was, one was uh, the servant Gehazi after Naaman was healed, and then Gehazi ended up uh, telling some lies and getting some, some goodies <laughs> from King Na- uh, from, from Naaman. Uh, Naaman, Naaman, that was some lying involved in that as well. But here, Ananias and Sapphira were were listening to the father of lies. They were giving place to the devil. And what was the result? Well, it's pretty obvious. The result was the immediate death in their situation. Now, in all, of these, in all of these examples that I have given, I see a similar progression. There was a good start. It seemed to be a good start. And then a temptation sets in. And there's a thinking it over. There's a thinking it over. And that's a pivotal spot, a pivotal spot right there. Good start. Temptation sets in. Then there's a thinking it over. There's a listening to Satan. There's an openness to Satan's suggestions. 
Yeah, disobedience seems logical. There's a lack of sensitivity then to our conscience. God has placed our conscience there to help guide us in making right decisions. There's a lack of sensitivity in these, in these examples to the still small voice of God. And then there's a taking the bait. And lastly, there's a paying the price. A similar progression in each of these examples. The Bible says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. The Bible also says, don't give place to the devil. I thought of this song that I, that I heard different times growing up as a youngster. Maybe, maybe the Gospel Express or something sang it at that point. Um, but it's a song that came to my mind, Sin Will Take You Farther. It goes this way. As a child, I foolishly turned God away, not knowing the heartache a sinner must face. But God in His goodness has let me return to share with His children this lesson I've learned. Sin will take you farther than you want to go, slowly but wholly taking control. Sin will leave you longer than you want to stay. Sin will cost you far more than you want to pay. So with pleasures and promises, sin took control, leaving me dying with nothing to show. Gone were my loved ones and my dearest friends. Only a Savior could love me again. Sin will take you farther than you want to go, slowly but wholly taking control. Sin will leave you longer than you want to stay. Sin will cost you far more than you want to pay. The deceitfulness of disobedience. Once again, I believe that deception is a major tool in Satan's last day's toolbox. Now certainly, as we just noted in Scripture, deception has been happening as long as there's been people. Deception has been happening. But the Bible makes it clear, turn to 2 Timothy for a few closing verses. The Bible makes it clear that deception is going to be a part of the last days. And it's going to get worse and worse. 2 Timothy chapter 3, starting at verse 13. And in these few verses, I just want you to note the contrast between believing a lie and believing the truth. Believing a lie and believing the truth. There's a contrast here. Verse 13, But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Dear people, that's where it's at this morning. We are to beware of deception, but we are to take hold of the truth. Beware that in the latter days, 
deception is going to be worse and worse. But you continue in what you know is right. You continue in the truth of God's word. That the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Let me just say here to close that the deceitfulness of disobedience destines its captives to desolation and destruction. But the truth of the word of God prepares, empowers, and perfects God's people. Let us be people that are passionate about truth and building our life on the truth of God. May the Lord bless you. We'll call for a song.